I started it. Welcome everyone. Welcome everyone. Today, uh, we, Today uh, we will going to make a question and answer with my dear professor, professor Ashagila Mandejanabri Shabursa. And she didn't, didn't refuse, refuse my invitation, invitation and she came here. She is the first, is the first uh, person, I'm going, person I'm going to make a podcast. Thank you. Thank you, for madam, this. for this. Okay. So I'm going so to start, going to start with my first question. Okay. Who is Aisha Gilamanda Jane Audrey Shilbursa? Right, good question. There's a lot of names there, aren't there? So are there as many people as there are names? <laughs> Yes. Okay, well, uh, let's say this, In uh, who am I? I am, how can I say this? I was born in 1967 in England, okay, in a place south of Manchester. Can I just close my window because this um, Ezan Hoja is, is quite, yani <laughs> Yes. <laughs> your Excuse me one second. Okay. Okay, that's a bit better, I think. Uh, my camera has broken. Uh, my camera has broken. <laughs> Ah, oh no! Thanks for the notification. It's found out. Camera is broken. Hopefully you can hear me. I can hear you. Yeah, I can hear you. Gosh, yes. I mean, just, if it's on Spotify, it's only going to be the sound, anyway, isn't it? Yeah, we will only use the sounds. It doesn't matter. Okay, right. Okay, so who am I? All right then, I was born in 1967 in uh, the place in the south of Manchester. Um, there, I suppose, I mean, I'm, as you know, I'm your professor. That's part of me. I'm also uh, a mother of my twins, um, a cat owner, or the owned by a cat. Um, Yanni, that is very difficult to say what I am really. You can ask me more specific questions, maybe. 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 Yes. That is enough for us. Enough for us. General information. Yeah. Okay. My second question. How was the environment that you grew up? Right. Okay. Right. My home environment. It was actually, I was very lucky as a child because in, um, obviously I was growing up in the 1970s, 1980s, and we lived in a street where everybody knew each other. I mean, I lived with my uh, grandfather as well, or my grandfather was living with us and we had a really nice neighborhood. So uh, there were a lot of kids of the same, uh, of the same age. We all went to the same school. And after school, we'd play outside, you know, ride our bikes and, you know, do all that sort of uh, kid stuff. Okay. And it was just a really nice environment. There weren't very many cars then. It was quiet, uh, small houses. Uh, it was just quite a safe environment, very safe and very peaceful, I would say. Those are, Those are good for a child's development. development. 
Very good. And very good because, um, I mean, I don't have any brothers and sisters, but with all those kids of the same age, uh, you know, we learned how to how to play, how to fight, how to, uh, you know, make friends again, all that sort of thing. It was quite, it was fun. It was, I, I think, you know, I had a nice, I was I had a lucky childhood from that point of view. Yeah. Yep. Now, let's go, let's go continue with question. the question. Mm -hmm. What was what the things, the things you, you don't like, like or hate, or hate when, you when you were a little girl? Ah, well, one thing, I hated people cutting down trees. I remember I've got a very clear memory of somebody coming around to cut a tree down in the house, uh, in the garden next to us. And I was very upset about that. Um, I didn't like people being rude. Um, I hated that. Mm, and that was it, really. That's all I can remember. It's a very long time ago. Those are the things that I can remember the most. Just uh, people being rude to each other. I, I just didn't like that at all. Yes. yes. What, were, what your were your plans when you were young? What were you, what wanting, were you wanting to achieve? Ah, right. Now, when you're little, you're talking when I was little, aren't you? Yes, yes. Yes, okay, so when you're little, you have very unrealistic uh, goals to achieve, don't you, really? So I remember when I was very little, I wanted to be a brain surgeon. Okay, don't know why, but that was one of their things. Then, of course, uh, I wanted to be an astronaut because that was, you know, the time when people were landing on the moon and there was all this fuss about... Oh, and it was the big space race as well between... Um, the United States and um, Russia, uh, the USSR at that time. So there was all this, um, you know, I grew up in the background of space and what have you, so obviously I wanted to be an astronaut. Then as I got a bit older, I decided that I wanted uh, to be a vet, you know, a, 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 which might be a little bit more realistic, but that didn't happen either, obviously. But I had lots of um, different ideas. But one thing, interestingly, one thing that I knew that I wanted to do. I knew that I didn't want to stay and live in the same place that I had grown up. I got this thing from a, a quite a small age that, um, you know, I just didn't want to stay uh, there where I was growing up. You know, I had to go somewhere else yes. somehow. Yes. And you, you become a brain surgeon, actually. actually. <laughs> you you <laughs> place my ideas on our minds as a teacher. As a teacher. Right. That's a good. That's a good point, Batman. Actually, yes, that's a good point. Uh, being a teacher is kind of a brain surgeon, isn't it? Without a knife, without a scalpel, or you know, blood-free surgery-free. We fix it as a physical, but we fix it as a psychological. That's a good point. <laughs> good point. Yeah. So yeah, I suppose so. Which schools you went, and what was your school's purpose? Ah, okay, right, my schools. I went to um, a primary school called Springfield Road, which is the local school, uh, you, know, it's, you know, the one you could walk to and what have you. And that was, um, actually, I hated primary school. I really, really did not like primary school. Um, actually, it was a nice building. It's quite an old building, and my granddad had gone there as well. So uh, it was quite an old uh, building. Uh, but I really didn't like it. I saw it as some kind of, um, how can I say, 
an infringement on my freedom. <laughs> I suppose, you know, that sort of thing. I didn't, I don't like people telling me what to do and things like that. And I remember very clearly um, just a couple of things. One thing was that we were learning how to read, okay, and we were given books to read. And I read the book and I finished it quite quickly and answered the questions. And my teacher said, you can't have read it, you can't have finished it. So, well, I have. No, no, no. So you do. It's just uh, too. It was just too fast. You didn't read it. Okay. And then, answer, what? What are the answers to the questions? And I gave her the answers to the questions, and she was like, mm, "Okay." So it was this. I thought they were just slowing things down a little bit too much. And well, in terms of reading, I hated maths. So um, really didn't like maths for some reason. Um, but. Still, I mean, we were again. We were quite lucky at the time when I was at uh, primary school because this was before all the uh, standardised exam stresses that there are now. Uh, so, I really just when we, especially in the first years of primary school, we went to school. School. We learned how to, um, you know, how to socialise with each other. We learned things like um, I remember collecting leaves in autumn. And you know, classifying leaves and things like that. I remember learning the colours as well. So it was a very colourful thing there. But on the whole, I didn't really, I didn't really like it very much. You know, the whole idea of school, yeah, the primary yeah, school. Most hated the primary school <laughs> when you were very young. Yes, yes. I mean, it, for our teachers' approaches. Right. I mean, yes. Crying at primary school, they doesn't, they didn't want to come to school. Because they, right. they were shouting us, us. we were, we were underestimated. underestimated. Right. Um, that, that's right. I mean, and, and um, you know, people tend to think that the UK is some kind of uh, amazing place for education, but still, you know, I, I look back and, and when I think about the things that the teachers said or things that they did, I was like, my goodness, that, you know, that wouldn't, um, you know, that wouldn't be acceptable today. You know, it was really quite humiliating in a way. So, um, no, I didn't like primary school. I was really glad when, it, uh, at that time in the United Kingdom, uh, you, you know, in um, no, it was when we were 11 years old. We had this exam to see which uh, secondary school we'd go to. Okay, and it was it wasn't really an exam that you had to work for. Uh, it was a an IQ kind of uh, exam, a general intelligence test so we had no idea when it was going to happen and we just came to school and found uh, the desks all lined up for an exam um, and then uh, I took the exam and I got into our local grammar school which was good uh, we had um, in this area we our secondary education was still boys and girls it was still separate okay so I got into the local girls grammar school and I was really happy about that because for one thing it was this wonderful building it was a really nice old building and also it's like yes I've grown up now people are going to treat me like uh, an adult okay and that was really enjoyable I, I loved grammar school uh, so I went there from 11 years old uh, finished my compulsory education which is at 16 and then I stayed on obviously to um, to work to get into university so grammar school was great and we did lots of things there. I learned how to play musical instruments we did theatre um, all sorts of 
different things. We went on little school trips as well. So I remember camping, going camping with the school and um, going to stay in, you know, different places, having, you know, you know what it's like when you're 11 and 12. You know, we stay in an old house and it was haunted and what have you. So I don't know, it, it was fun. I really enjoyed um, grammar school. Okay, it was it's something I'd like to to have stayed there. So uh, yeah, that's that's what my school. So my the purpose then of that school was to um, to educate people to get into university. That was the the, the main aim of that. Uh, secondary schools at that time in Britain had all sorts of uh, different purposes. This wasn't academically. Grammar schools were uh, academically oriented. Um, they're called grammar, but we didn't learn grammar, and that's an old thing uh, that comes from the old education system uh, in Britain, where school was for learning Latin and Greek, which was Latin and Greek grammar, you know, grammar translation, and the name sort of stick, sort of stuck with that. So, uh, but that was academically inclined. There were also other schools that were more sort of vocational schools and schools that were mixed as well. Okay, so that was my grammar school, and that was really close to home as well, so I could walk there. Uh, yeah, that was it, really. And, you know, sorry, I felt... Mm -hmm. So you're interested in teaching or English structure when you were at a secondary school? Uh, well, actually, the, the thing, uh, what I really liked at this uh, grammar school was... It was much more academically oriented. So what I really enjoyed there, I enjoyed um, music, French and German, okay, and English literature as well. Because at that time, um, how can I say? Uh, you know, those were my favourite lessons. I was playing music and I did music theory and all this sort of stuff. So when my plan for myself when I was uh, 15 or 16 was to study music, French and German at university, and then possibly become either an, a language teacher, like a French, like French or German or something, or learn a different language at university. Um, that was my plan for myself, you see. But uh, how can I say, if this was the 1980s, Margaret Thatcher had recently been uh, elected as prime minister. And that was at, uh, my, my school was an, an all-girls school, so our headmistress, she wanted uh, her students not to choose typical, how can I say, traditional girl topics, okay, girl subjects. So girls would traditionally go into uh, languages, for example, and she, was wanted, she wanted to encourage the girls to go into science as well, which is, you know, I think a, an admirable thing. Now, I was quite, at school, I was, you know, I was a good student at school, so I got uh, good grades in all of my um, topic, or my subjects, but for the science subjects, I had to work a little bit harder, okay, so, but I still got the grades, and somehow I was persuaded to take sciences at, to prepare for university, okay, so, uh, you know, the idea is study sciences and then maybe get into medical school or something, okay, which I didn't really want to do, um, but, you know, your olders know best, you, my mum wanted me to do this and my uh, headmistress encouraged me to do this, so that's what I did. 
And so when we have sixth form college after after the five years of compulsory education, we have an extra two years, which is like preparation for university where you specialize in particular areas. So I did chemistry, physics and biology. Okay, I didn't do maths, obviously. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> it's I don't know why. I mean, uh, what it is about maths? I mean, music is actually maths, isn't it? Really, it's it's math, mathematics with sound. Actually, mathematics and music is a language. Yes, and they're all languages as well. Good point. So, why is it mathematics? I mean, mathematics is another kind of, as you say, language. And to do music, you need. You know, kind of mathematical knowledge, yes. uh, but for some reason, I think it must be the way it was just school maths, maybe, or the way it's taught, or you know. Anyway, so I did my sciences. Now, obviously, I wasn't really, I didn't really have my heart in it because I really wanted to do music or French and German. So my grades at, at A level grades were not really good enough to get into medical school. Surprise, surprise. Uh, so what I did now. I'm kind of a, a stubborn sort of person in a way. You know, there's all sorts of things that you can do actually. Uh, in the UK, it's very flexible uh, if you want to change things. But I said, no, well, I've done this. I'm going to do whatever I have, I have to do with this, with my uh, chemistry and physics and biology grades. So uh, what I did, I got into uh, London University, University College of London, to study medicinal chemistry. So my... Um, how can I say my undergraduate degree is actually in medicinal chemistry. Okay. Wow, very really interesting. Grammar school teacher education center. Completely um, yes. Uh, what do you call it? Yeah, chemistry, medicinal chemistry as well. You know, I like. Uh, I still love chemistry. Chemistry was my favorite um, topic. You know, of, of all the sciences. Okay, and it was just, yes. I just really, really enjoyed it. It's the, how can I say, you know, physics is very rule-bound, isn't it? Physics is, you know, very rule-bound, yes. very, very um, abstract. But chemistry was just mad, <laughs> okay? It was just crazy. You could do, make all these amazing things and you could add things and they turn into something else. And it was just, uh, just fascinating. However, uh, so I got into... London University. Okay, should I stop there? Are you going to ask me more questions about that time? I was highly interested in chemistry too when I was at high school. But uh -huh. when I when I said uh, we are only solving mathematical problems, ah. I had to give up. I was uh, expecting for uh, shaking the tubes, right. making booms in the classroom, but that's <laughs> what I expected. Right. I mean, this we were very, really, very lucky in in, in Britain then because um, education was very much state funded. So uh, schools got a lot of funding from uh, the government, and all these, uh, all this chemical equipment, everything. I mean, I, we had you know real lab classes at uh, at grammar school. So uh, that's what I really enjoyed, you know, I, you know, measuring things and putting them together and mixing them and yeah. watching colors change and seeing, you know, it, that, that's what was, um, and I was quite good at it as well. I mean, at grammar school, I was good at it. Yes, I mean, that's grammar school. Yes, I mean, the thing is with grammar school, it's not just grammar that you do, you do everything. Uh, 
the name is just grammar because it's, it's it's left over from you know ancient times so to speak but we oh, did everything we did. yeah it's a, it's an old traditional school but the curriculum is a modern curriculum so you do um you know it's got nothing to do with grammar anymore you do um languages you do sciences humanities everything okay so it's sort of like uh, the name was just grammar school you know because it was the old traditional schools that went to, you know, um, channel students into university. So, um, yeah, that was it. So, uh, yes, I uh, got into London. Okay, so any more questions about that? Um, let's end off the part one. Okay. Actually, I could... <coughs> and since you love chemistry, you must be loving Snape as well. Right, right? yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the thing is, with chemistry, it is... It is magic, actually. Um, it's magic that we put names to. And if you look at the history of chemistry as a science, it's the only the most it's the most recently accepted science, actually, isn't it? You know, maths and physics are up there in the um, <clears throat> of the you know the untouchable abstract yes. world of perfection. Yes. <laughs> okay. I mean, they're up there, but but chemistry. And if you see all the people, you know, they they did amazing things. Like when we look back at the history of um, you know these people like Isaac Newton, Robert Hooke, all these people who just did, did you know crazy experiments just to find out, just out of curiosity, uh, to see what happened if you did this. And you know, um, it. I, I find it fascinating. I still. Uh, you know, I have part of me which is like, you know, oh, you know, I wish I'd carried on somehow. But it is, uh, it's really fascinating though, because we are ruled by chemicals in our body. There, that's a different aspect. I know. Right. Yes, we are chemistry. I mean, um, everything, even our behaviour is is, is um, how can I say, uh, determined by our chemistry, isn't it? So. Um, it's just amazing. These, uh, and if you think about it, this ma uh, matter, material, it's been here since the beginning. Okay, and it doesn't just appear from anywhere or disappear anywhere. It just goes around, and it's quite amazing, really. So I think I've got a, I've got a soft spot for chemistry, I should say. There is another question from Mohamed Emin Ceylan. Okay. He asked. Was it hard for you to learn Turkish? What's the weirdest or surprising thing you have encountered while learning Turkish? Right. Um, of course, I mean, Turkish is a very different language to English, aren't they? They're, they, or they're very, very different from each other. I was uh, lucky in some way that I learned Turkish while I was here. Okay, so uh, if you're, what we, what we all say that, isn't it? If you're if you learn a language by being exposed to it and by actually living the language, then it's a lot easier to learn it. So I didn't really learn Turkish grammar. Okay, so I've, I've no sort of like ideas about you know when my kids come home with their Turkish homework and it's full of all these strange things. You know, what have you? I mean, I've no idea what they are. But you know, obviously, when you learn Turkish, when you're exposed to it then yeah, you use it. Okay, so that was quite interesting for me. Um, the, you know, it, it wasn't difficult because I was here. Uh, I've also got experience of learning language as well, because I loved learning French and German at school. 
And maybe this is, might come in another section, is that after university, I went to Taiwan to uh, teach English, and I learned Chinese there. So I stayed there for four years, uh, and I learned Chinese while I was there. So in comparison to Chinese, Turkish is not that different from English, if you see what I mean. So having learned Chinese, which is just like completely nothing related at all to English, uh, it wasn't that difficult to deal with Turkish. Yes, yes. thanks to, thanks to our language evolution, it became, it became uh, easier. Right. Yes, yes, I mean, obviously, I mean, that was one thing, that having the Latin alphabet makes things tons easier. Okay, it makes it a lot more accessible, definitely. Mm -hmm. it, was it was also the same way, same way. I exposed to Polish when I was in Poland, and I learned, and I learned mm -hmm. uh, basics of Polish while I was in supermarket talking to cashier. Mm -hmm. and now I can introduce myself, I can say whatever I need. Uh -huh. It's great, isn't it? It's great to be able to do yes. that. Exposing, mm -hmm. I think, is one of the most uh, important aspect right. of learning a language. Right. Definitely. Exposure to authentic language and to be interested and curious in it as well. Yes. Okay, yes. so, you know, that that's another thing. You've got to be curious, yes. you've got to expose yourself. Mm -hmm. Yes, Ahmed, you can ask. <laughs> Don't hesitate, um, mate. Since that, yeah, you were born in Manchester, um, do you have a local accent or do you change it while speaking since uh, i mean so that we can understand well, it looks like rp so it's why right. i'm asking okay so obviously i mean i've not lived in manchester for a meaningful period for, well for a long time if you think i went to university when i was 21 years old and that's a long time ago uh, so my accent is very standardized but you can still tell that it's from Manchester, though, because uh, my vowel sounds, for example, are flat. So I'd say things like grass and um, path rather than grass or path. But the overall, I mean, I have uh, softened out my accent considerably. Um, maybe, I mean, to a certain extent, it was maybe conscious. I mean, when I was younger, my mum always told me, me never to speak with a Manchester accent because it was really ugly um, and then since I left Manchester I've um, obviously I went to London and you meet people from all uh, when you go to university you meet people from all over the country with all sorts of different accents and uh, when I went to Taiwan I had friends who were from America and Australia New Zealand Canada so your local accent gets really quite flattened out so, I mean, at the moment, because I'm an English teacher and I've, I've been teaching English uh, for 30-something years, um, I, I do speak very carefully, okay? So it's, um, you know, the most, of the, most of the time I'm speaking English is, through, you know, to teach, okay, apart from uh, dealing with the kids. But, I mean, what I do notice sometimes is that when I uh, talk to the kids, or talk to the cat okay the uh, my accent goes back a bit my accent uh, goes back to be a little bit more manchester yeah i actually realized that after seeing so strange uh, british accent yeah, your accent is really clear <laughs> right yes it is uh, but because it's my job 
isn't it really? I mean, uh, it's been my job to teach English and, um, you know, and to uh, present things in academic environments in English and what have you. So it is, it's been very, it is flattened out. It is very neutral. Okay, it's not as strong as it had been. But there are still, um, for example, big sounds, strong. That is, um, that's a Manchester thing. Okay, we're pronouncing the g at the end of the ing things, uh, the flat vowels, and some of my intonation as well. Okay, so it's still clear. Though. Thank you. You're welcome. Is there, is there any questions, friends? You can ask, you can ask whatever, you whatever you want. No. Okay. Yes. I assume there is no questions. All right, we can continue okay. with part two. Mm -hmm. Okay. Oh, you're you're okay. Sorry. Uh, why did you decide to become a teacher? Right. Good question. This is a, a good question because yes, here I am in, uh, for example, in London University studying medicinal chemistry. Why didn't I go into uh, the medicine industry, isn't it? I mean, uh, what I'd sort of planned was to uh, do my three years degree and then try again for medical school. But when I was at university, I just realized that, how can I say, it wasn't, it's not my idea of a life to be stuck in a laboratory, okay? Because, um, how can I say, it's, it's just not what I wanted. I like being with people. Okay, and what I noticed is that the, the people at university who were good at chemistry and really good were also sort of like, you know, sociopaths, basically. So um, I didn't really see myself in the uh, medicine industry as it was the pharmaceutical industry. It's not something that I really thought I wanted to do for the rest of my life. So obviously this is uh, what happens. Why? How did I get into teaching then? So when I graduated, uh, what is usual for, for us to do in Britain, or it was in then anyway, is to take a gap year out. And that's how I went to Taiwan, uh, because one of our neighbors there, he was uh, working in a, a language school there, and they needed teachers. So initially, I asked my mum if she'd go over, and she said no, she couldn't really, but you know, I would. So that's how I got there, because I thought, well, um, it would both get some experience, you know, just this, you know, travel experience, living in different cultures is really, I think, really important, to, you know, to really break out of your own moulds. Um, so that's where I went to get teaching. And it was in Taiwan that I realised that I just really loved teaching. Um, and I was teaching English there, obviously, not chemistry, but I really, really, I just loved it. And I found that I was actually quite good at it. The students liked me and um, you know I just found found it fascinating and I really enjoyed teaching I really enjoyed making materials and being you know thinking about what to do and planning a lesson and doing things differently that kind of thing so um, that's what it was so I thought after spending time in Taiwan with this experience I'd go back to Britain um, and either do I got two things there. I could either continue in the ELT field, um, you know, get my qualifi uh, get qualifications in English language teaching, or I would do uh, get qualifications to teach chemistry because that was an option, obviously, you know, with this teaching experience. And it just 
uh, happened that I just I chose English language teaching. So uh, when I got back from Taiwan, came to Britain, and I did all my um, teacher diplomas, uh, teaching English as a foreign language diploma. Okay, so that's what I did. That's how I got into English at the end of the days. In Taiwan, I just remember very clearly just loving it. And I can still remember the the classroom and the, the excitement and the, the energy of just teaching. It was kids at that time. Um, it was just, oh, it was just wonderful. I loved it. So I thought, I have, this is what I want to do because you're with people. You're interacting with people. You're, um, you know, giving something positive to them in their lives. And, you know, the medical industry, the pharmaceutical industry, when I look back now, I'm quite glad I didn't get into it because I don't think it's very, um, I don't think it's very ethical. I don't think it has actually people's health as a main concern. So I'm just glad I didn't get into that. Thank you so much. And uh, I want to ask you something too. Uh, I really wonder that. Uh, are those frames behind you uh, is a part of your chemistry? Uh, or are you kind of uh, Avatar the last airbender? <laughs> well, basically, it's, it's earth, air, fire, and water, which is like the beginning of chemistry, isn't it, really? The, uh, before the periodic table. It all started off with those four elements, so that's what they are. <laughs> you see, it's part of me that's, um, how can I say, it's still there. You know, I like to think about these things. Okay, that's a good question. <laughs> that was when chemistry was easy, there was only four elements. <laughs> things got much more complicated later, didn't they? Okay. Okay then. Oh, there's a question more. Murai from Murai Uxan. Do you think you are more fortunate in teaching English to prospective English teachers since your native language is English? In other words, what are the advantages and disadvantages of it? Okay, right. Good question, Bura. Um, now, obviously, if you think, when, when I go right back to what I wanted to do, actually, I wanted to teach French or German. I wanted to be a foreign language teacher, but, you know, in an English sense. So what would I be teaching, French or German or some other, uh, maybe uh, if I learned a language later. So that was what I really wanted to be when I was 16. So obviously, by the time I got to university and got myself a chemistry de degree, um, teaching French or German is really out of the question because I've not had a chance to develop it. So uh, what it turned back, then turned into was like teaching English, which is my own language, uh, as a foreign language. Now, it's, I mean, there are definitely advantages uh, to have having that, but I've always tried as a person uh, to balance things out. I like balance because I think maybe because I'm liberal or something. Uh, things have got to be balanced. So if I'm teaching English, which is my language, then I need to um, I need to learn a language as well to balance things out. So that's when I was in Taiwan. So okay, I'm teaching people English. I'm teaching people my language, but I think I should also learn that language as well. So um, that's part of you know, my identity, I suppose, as a language teacher. So there are advantages. I mean, um, I, and because I'm also aware, I mean, I'm not just a native speaker. I mean, I, I know now English grammar. I know all the, um, 
the rules and everything like that. Obviously, you know, I can sit down and I can analyze why is this like this is and what have you that a lot of, you know, net native speakers wouldn't be able to do. And um, so obviously they've got advantages. Um, you know, I know when things sound more uh, natural, I mean, I can give feedback on the on language and what have you. Uh, disadvantages. Um, I mean, I don't think there were any. Yeah, language awareness. Thank you, beginner. I bet. Um, you know, just being aware of all sorts of different languages. Um, I personally don't think it's been a disadvantage because I've always tried to learn. So I've been in, I've been here in Turkey. So I'm not just teaching English. I'm also speaking Turkish as well. So I kind of know where um, the difficulties with English might come from uh, for Turkish speakers. Okay, so um, disadvantages may be that every, uh, I'm not trying to think, these aren't really disadvantages. People assume that um, just because it's your native language, then it's very easy to do. Okay, but it, it, it's not. Okay, it doesn't, you know, can every Turkish speaker speak, uh, can every Turkish speaker teach Turkish? No. Okay. Can every Turkish academic who can, you know, Turkish first language write an article in Turkish? Well, no, they can't, because those are all different kinds of skills there. Um, but on the whole, I've not had any disadvantages, really. Okay, but I think that's because I've made an effort to try and balance things out. So, you know, English isn't my only language. I think. Did you... English gets worse maybe over the years. <laughs> it does. Well, it it does actually, Ahmed Salim. It's uh, if I say worse, um, because I'm here and because I'm teaching, you know, teaching English, teaching standard English, and then writing and speaking academic stuff. Um, my everyday English is almost like non-existent. You know, the colloquial stuff. So if I go back to the UK, which is not very often, but when I do go back and I find that the local uh, the local language has changed a lot. So there's a lot of uh, different slang there that wasn't there 30 years ago, for example. So I find that kind of thing sometimes difficult to understand. Um, uh, what was I also going to say? Yes, yeah, so that's difficult. I mean, it, you know, when I go there, you sound, you know, like a book or something. So when I go there, people can see from my accent that I'm, you know, from there, for example, because when I go back, my accent does, you know, I do deliberately uh, turn it on for Manchester, so, so to speak. So you can see I'm obviously local, but I don't know any of the, you know, any of the language or any of the customs. And that's, that's really odd. Okay, so in that way, it's a bit like, uh, do you remember, do, do you ever see that film? It's an old film, but Dances with Wolves. Will do. <laughs> it's an old, old film. I don't know if you've seen that. Called Lala Dance, isn't it? Is it Kevin Costner, maybe? Okay, it's about this film, it's about um, an American woman who lives with the uh, Native Americans for years and years and years, and she, she stays there and she forgets to speak English. And I think it's Kevin Costner who comes along and uh, tries to communicate with her. But there she is, an American woman, for example, but um, she's forgotten English. 
Okay, so I'm not that I'm not quite that state yet. <laughs> maybe it sounds like uh, not for the accent. Maybe it sounds posh. Yeah, maybe some uh, vocabulary. Well, yeah, academic right. vocabulary. Right. Yes. I mean, it does. Yeah, it does sort of sound uh, posh. You know, the academic vocabulary, what have you. It does sound a bit. Um, yeah, definitely. I'll tell you a funny story. This is um, this is a few years ago when we went back. Um, you know how those obviously want to change our mobile phone and what have you. Want to get a, a phone line from there. And there's this company that uh, maybe if you've been to Europe, you've seen this. It's like a mobile. Um, it's kind of these like these SIM cards. You buy a SIM card and you top it up now and then, and then when you leave, you can just throw it away. So it's not a permanent one like Turkcell or whatever. And I bought this, and then I wanted to top up my card. Uh, this, so I went to a local um, news agent, okay, and this was in London. It was a local news agent, and this uh, there was a man who was, uh, you know, most of the news agents in London are Pakistani. And I said, uh, I'd like to, I'd like to top up my Likomobile. <laughs> and he was looking at me like, what? Likomobile? Okay, you, you, what's that? Is it, you know, this, this, oh, like a mobile. You know, uh, <laughs> it's like a mobile. I'd seen this, um, I'd seen this word and I'd sort of decoded it through Turkish phonetics. Okay, because you know, being here for a long time, I've not. This is a, a new word. It, it, it didn't exist when uh, I left the UK. It wasn't because we didn't have mobile phones. So I uh, I coded this in Turkish as Lika Mobile, and obviously, you know. So uh, when I went to the, the, the news agent, the man was just looking at me. What What are you talking about? You know, because obviously I've got you know, and you know the. English, British accent, and everything, but this was what is that word? Where did that come from? So that was a, a funny experience being a foreigner back home. Okay, yes. then if you want, if you want a, a five minute break, you can have to drink something, to drink something. No. or we can, or we can uh, continue. No, continue, continue. I've got my water here, don't worry about it. Let's okay. go ahead. All right, then I'm going, I'm going uh, with part two, your universal <laughs> life, right. Of course. How was your university life? Very a good student. <laughs> right. Um, let's say this. I wasn't a good chemistry student. Okay. Um, you know, I wasn't. I was. I suppose I was just an average student, really, because I didn't have my heart in it. At the end of the day, I realised that this isn't really what I want to do. Um, but you know, I did everything that was necessary. Um, university life was great because. Um, I was in London and, you know, it's to be able to live in the centre of London then, it was just absolutely fantastic as a student, it was great. So, um, you know, what I remember most about that was things like the student residences, the dorms. So, uh, we lived in a house that was basically, you know, you see those in um, sort of like Jane Austen adaptations of uh, with London, those big tall houses, three stories high and what have you. Uh, so our student residence was one of those converted. So I lived in the the top, the attic, the um, uh, the roof of this house, and that was fantastic. So being in London, being close to all the uh, the cultural aspects, 
of London, the parks as well, fantastic parks. Uh, and just that, that feeling of being free, isn't it really, when you're a university student, you know, before you start working, that just that, that, that young energy uh, was really quite enjoyable, I should say. Yes, and do you have any person and event that affected you positively or negatively at your university? No, not really. Um, as I just say, it was just this uh, this nice memory of London, really. And no negative things, no overly positive, you know, not fantastically positive things. No, it was just an experience. It was, you know, it's, uh, that I remember fondly. So you don't have any regrets too? From your university no, no, not really. I mean, I used to regret that, that I'd studied um, chemistry rather than uh, actually doing what I wanted to do. But at the end of the day, when I look back, I think, well, I'm doing what I want to do anyway. You know, <laughs> at the end of the day, I'm actually doing exactly what I really wanted to do all those years back. So um, teaching chemistry is definitely not, not teaching, sorry, learning chemistry is not a regret at all. I think it gave me a certain uh, ability to look on life in a scientific way, which is useful in the academic world. You know, because as language people, we can tend to be sort of, I don't know, very, ooh, you know, uh, not very rational all the time. But, you know, studying a science uh, helped me to look at things rationally, I think. So that was, that's been useful for me in the academic world. And as far as I know, uh, from psycholinguistics, uh, the language and science section are the same part in the brain, our left side. Right, right. But I don't understand why we language teachers uh, don't know how to make maths, but they are connected to each other. They are. I think, I think actually this is what's, I, this is my personal opinion, it's not based on any kind of study or anything like that, but this is a general thought is that um, yes they are in the same part of the brain and actually if you think about it somebody who's good at language should be good at maths as well so I think rather than um, this being something wrong with us I think it's the way that actually maths is approached in schools I mean that's the and I think the problem there is with the education of maths um, I think that's the problem. It's not taught in ways that are relevant to people's to students' lives. It can be intimidating, um, you know. Especially when you're a little kid, you can be really intimidated by these things. These numbers are very abstract, and when you're a kid, you're not being able to think abstractly yet. Um, so I, I think the problem is with the way that maths is taught. Okay, or the what is presented as maths in our curriculum, for example. Yes. You know, yes. I, mm -hmm. Maybe I can uh, say something to um, maybe as an argument. Uh, at primary school, my uh, high school was on math, and mm -hmm. when my teacher said uh, it was me to study language, I just uh, <laughs> laughed and. <laughs> Uh, like, uh, like, didn't care about it. Like, it wouldn't happen. But in the end, uh, I'm studying English language teaching. Right. <laughs> yes. And my over that time, my math uh, got worse due to the uh, some due to some gaps. Right. In teaching. Right. Uh, this is. I mean. Um, this. Is, I mean. 
teaching something, teaching, you know, anything is, you've got to be really careful with it. You've got to be, you know, the material's got to be presented very well. The, the techniques, the approaches used have got to be really careful. And I think there are uh, huge problems with the way that maths is taught. That's what I think, you know, and then um, you, you're kind of like made to feel um, inadequate in it. It's, it is intimidating, I think. Okay, but you know. I mean, you think, you think all the questions that you have to deal with in maths. I mean, I remember my kids coming home in first or second grade, and it, the question was this, it was like, my mum bought 36 eggs. She made uh, a cake with 19 of them. And I'm thinking, God, what kind of cake is that? <laughs> Isn't it? <laughs> now, I wasn't... <laughs> I wasn't thinking, I mean, for the kids as well, I was, you know, we tried to help them with this, but, you know, you've got the, you know, 36 minus 19 part there, but it's like, wow, this cake, what kind of an amazing thing is this, this huge meringue or something. Um, so it's just, you know, a little bit ridiculous. Yes, we are, yes, we are, yeah. uh, we are expecting, we are expecting uh, a sensible thing from, from, from mathematics, but there is no, there is no, there is no, there is no sense, sense in math, even these questions. Right. Yes, the questions are just, you know, my daughter said, you know, what am I going to do with all this, uh, this wire that I'm going to um, wrap around this field that I haven't got, Yanni? Also, when, when I see letters in math, like uh, for formulas, like, how is it math? <laughs> <laughs> right. It's a whole different thing, isn't it? So, yeah, I think that's what it is. I think the way that math is presented to us is it, it loses it appeal i think i think a lot of things that happen when we put them into school uh that they start to lose uh their attraction to students you know they, they tend to lose their curiosity in them okay then you already answered most of my part two questions from my friends and you already answered i'm continuing with part three first okay. to your professional life right Right. How was okay. your first day as a teacher, except from Taiwan? You already told it us. Well, Taiwan, I mean, I can still talk about Taiwan there, because that's the one uh, that was uh, the first time that I was on the other side of the classroom. So I can remember things that were like, wow. One thing was like taking attendance, okay? And that was, the, you know, if you remember that from school, teachers taking attendance, reading out names and marking things. So that, it was really exciting to actually be able to do that first, you know, for the first time. Uh, grading homework, that was another thing that uh, made me think like, wow, yeah, here I am with a red pen, it's me now, okay? So I remember that and just, you know, the interaction part. Um, when I came back to the UK, um, it was in a completely different, <laughs> yes, exactly, I must say, grading homework is just awful, it's the worst thing in the whole world, okay. Um, coming back to Britain then, and when I was back in the UK, I had was teaching a completely different uh, environment. In the UK we had, we were teaching more, um, you know, some of our students were refugees from Vietnam or Somalia or Bosnia at that time in the 1990s. So that was a that required a whole different kind of approach. Um, you know, I, was it noted in, when I came back to the UK, I started to teach in lots of different environments. Okay, because um, 
you don't have a contract job. It's a little bit like, you know, it is now in Turkey, isn't it, with these contract teachers or Udretti or Redman there. That, I mean, that's how you work um, in the UK. So teaching at a number of different places, a number of different types of students. So, I mean, that was it there. And that was, a, that was an extra experience. I really enjoyed that as well. Um, you know, obviously in Taiwan, all the students spoke the same language. Um, when I came back to the UK, everybody was speaking, all my students were speaking different languages. So, we, you know, English was the language that brought us all together. So uh, that was a good experience. What were the difficult issues, issues you faced as a teacher? Um, I think having to, there were also uh, these sort of side things because it wasn't a permanent job. It's not like having a permanent job where you know that you're going to be teaching a certain number of hours a week. So, for example, at the beginning of term, um, the head of the department said, okay, I can give you 18 hours a week. We said, great, 18 hours a week. And then after registration, you realize that you end up with 11 hours a week. Okay, and you get paid accordingly. So like 18 hours a week is one way, 11 hours a week is another. That was quite difficult. And having to go to lots of different uh, places to teach, to make up for things like that. That insecurity was quite difficult. You know, the job insecurity. Uh, that was challenging, but the actual teaching wasn't a challenge. The actual job teaching wasn't um, wasn't difficult. It was quite fun, really. It was a, an enjoyable thing to do. Um, I remember getting my diploma in um, it's called Delta now, but it was DTEFLA at this time. The diploma in uh, teaching English as a foreign language to adults. I remember very clearly being observed by these uh, teachers, and it was. You know, the examiners would come in to observe you. Um, and that was quite nerve-wracking. I remember just being, uh, teaching everything very quickly. Okay, brrr, okay. And they're like, oh, calm down, just really calm down. <laughs> okay. So um, I had to learn to calm down, to stop step by step. Okay, so that's one thing I learned there. Okay. Because I thought, well, everybody would get bored if I was keep speaking too slowly. So I used to, I don't know, I just do do things really quickly, okay? That's good. That's good. What, what was on your mind, your mind when you were a young, young teacher? What would you, what like, would to you like to achieve? Um, what? That's a good question. Um, you know how we sort of talk about uh, identities, professional identities, who do you want to be, who do you not want to be? Um, I always wanted to do my job. I just wanted to be a good teacher. I wanted to, you know, to really uh, do my job as I should do and you know to if people come to my class I want them to learn something that was what I really wanted to do um, at that time the, the the film remember the dead poet society um, that was I think released around that time and I remember watching that and thinking uh, this John Keating okay maybe it's an extreme example but he was really helping students to um, to learn, wasn't he? I mean, he was breaking away with the old, uh, the dusty old traditions of that school. And he was actually helping people to love English literature, as that was there. He was, they were loving their topics. They were uh, being able to do things, that really shy kid. He actually got him up doing and acting. And I think that was, um, I thought that's, you know, maybe 
not to that extent, you know, I can't jump on desks and ask students to rip books up, that wouldn't be acceptable, but to at least, um, you know, do my job properly. That's what I wanted to do, just to, you know, um, be a good teacher. Okay, not very, not very ambitious, but that's what I wanted to do. Yes, then I continue with my another question. What was the thing? How old do you into academic life? Why did you leave your normal teacher life? Right, good question. Um, because, I mean, for one thing, being in, uh, it's much of circumstance actually. I mean, obviously, my husband's a, a professor here, so he's an academ uh, academician. And when you come to university, it's sort of the, well, I could do this, you know, getting, because uh, I did my MA and my PhD. In Gaza University in in, uh, in Turkey okay so um, I was actually thinking of doing an MA when I was back in the UK uh, but getting married and coming here things changed a little bit but um, what I found it, I didn't I started doing my MA in year two yeah 2000 okay and about that time I had you know quite a lot of experience teaching and I thought you know I want to develop it you know can't keep going around doing the same things or just like I know I just want to take it up a different level so that was really good to do that the MA to get um, some new theoretical knowledge uh, to you know update updated theoretical knowledge and um, to do research to actually you know research something and I found those doing an MA really helped my teaching as well and you know I found I was quite good at it okay um, so I did a PhD as well and you know I just really enjoy that part as well I enjoy researching reading and writing um, is a, another part of the job that I really uh, enjoy very much and I thought well if you know if I can do it I should do okay so that's how how that happened that's good mm -hmm. how many schools and universities do you work at Okay, so in Turkey, I when we came, um, the first place I worked at was Kastamonu Eğitim Fakültesi. Ben will know that it was um, at the end of the uh, 1997 when we went there. So it was still part of Gazi University then. Uh, I worked there for five years, and then in 2003. We moved to Abant, Bolo, Abant is at Baisal University, and I worked there for 12 years, and that's an EFL, an ELT department there. And Uludar, 2014, so that's seven years ago. That's a new. Yes, relatively new, yes, yes. So, yeah, 2014 is when I came here. How, so, how did yeah. your way end up at Uludar University? Well, um, you know, Yeshil Bursa, my husband's family is here, okay, it is his memniket, okay, and we'd always thought about it, you know, uh, coming back to Bursa, what really did it was when having, when you have kids uh, and they get to school age, you realise that they need to be in an environment with more opportunities or more, um, how can I say, yeah, more opportunities, more Stimulus, whatever, whatever I want to say there. So, um, Bursa. That's why we 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 came to Bursa. Do you like? Do you like Bursa? Yes, I do actually. I, I really do like Bursa. I mean, I'm. Um, if you actually look at it as it is now, then maybe you think, "Ooh, God, what's that?" But I don't know. I kind of, when I think of Bursa, I sort of like peel away all those sort of, you know, the. Um, 
I, I, I kind of peel away things so I can look at Bolsa as it must have been a hundred years ago or something, where it was still green and the um, Bolsa Ovasa still had, um, you know, peach trees, fruit trees, and Uluda. Um, you know, I, I think it's got a, how can I say, the uh, city, urban culture in a way, hasn't it? It's got this, yes. uh, the culture of a big city, a big historical city, and I think you can feel that here, and that's what I like about it. Yes, in Bursa we have nature, history, right, agriculture, tourism. Right, yes, mountains, and the sea. Mm -hmm. We need to protect it with the proper ways and scientific ways instead of building lots right. of unnecessary buildings. Right, definitely. I mean, we really need to. Look, I mean, this is very, very precious uh, ground. All of it, everything really is, is very, very in terms of agriculture, in terms of history. And yeah, we should really look beyond today's benefits and to try and keep it that way. You know, try and protect it, definitely. All right, then. I have a special question. Okay. That's, uh, I prepared. Of course, I prepared every question, but this is special for me. <laughs> okay. Do you like okay. our university's dining hall? Do I like uh, our university's dining hall? Yemekhane. <laughs> Cafeteria, maybe you would say. <laughs> cafeteria kind of thing. Well, actually, I don't go there very often. I mean, I um, I usually bring something with me, you know, <laughs> so I don't know. Oh, oh. this makes <laughs> you know, I'm not. Um, but I still think, I mean, uh, of all cafeterias that I've seen, I think it's, um, I mean, it's been updated a little bit. It's been a little bit modernized and probably a lot cleaner. Um, but I mean, I, 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 I haven't. Uh, eaten in the cafeteria for a long, long time, All right, All especially right, since the pandemic as well. So yes. So, so part three ends here, and, and okay. I will let my friends ask questions. Firstly, there is a question from SS. I don't know your name, friend. Sorry. You on the road, SS? How can we deal with the insecurities in teaching? Ha! Huh. Is that? Personal insecurities or general insecure job insecurity? I think it was the second one when uh, they wrote and I uh, answered like uh, ah. uh, as a joke. Oh, right. Okay, so like the job, how can you deal with job insecurity, job security, a lack of job security? Well, I mean, this is very, this is something uh, very much out of our control, actually, isn't it? Um, I think, you know, you just need to look after yourself first. And there's a lot of things about that at the moment, aren't there? Teacher well-being and uh, what have you. I mean, you, you have to look after, yeah, look after yourself first. I mean, it's not, we have to realize that at the moment, especially when you're starting out in teaching, because it always happens that uh, the beginning, the, few, the beginning few years of teaching is always a little bit insecure. Uh, but you get through it. Okay, over time you do get through it. So it's being able to realize that this, um, that what you're living through at the moment is going to, it's not going to go on forever. Okay, but during, you know, you can't avoid it. So during that time, just 
you know, take care of yourself, realize that it is going to be over and focus on what you want to do in the future and how you can make it more secure. You know, what can you do to make it more secure? I think, you know, take things in your own hands as much as you can. All right, okay. there's a bag's question. All right, bag, you can ask. Okay, thank you for uh, giving me the word. Uh, hi, Ajam, first of all. Hello, Ben. Okay. Uh, my question is uh, irrelevant to language, uh, but it's about uh, your life. Mm -hmm. uh, we know that uh, you have uh, lived in some big cities like Manchester and Taipei, maybe in Taiwan. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and uh, in Turkey, you lived in uh, Ankara, Bursa, etc. Uh, and you have seen uh, some small cities like Kastamon and Bolo also. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So my question is, uh, do you prefer to live in uh, big crowded cities or small cities? Well, good question. Very good question. I mean, both of them have got their advantages. So uh, what I like about living in a smaller city like Kastamon or Bolo, uh, was that i mean for one thing like the the, the neighbor the, the neighborhood thingy was a lot uh, more friendlier okay it was a lot more social in a way uh, uh things were a lot calmer a lot more quiet um you know things that the air was a lot fresher um so i mean the, those the small cities definitely have an advantage i mean uh, when we were in Bolo, it was fantastic. We could, you know, just step out and there it would be in a, a forest or something or by a river and the, the, the nature there, which is possible in Bursa in a way. But um, sometimes you can be very limited. If you've got, this is when you've got kids, I think. After a certain age, when you've got kids, the small town um, starts to get a little bit, how can I say? Uh, Easier, maybe? Well, it's easier, but when you get to school age, it becomes more difficult. Okay, there are advantages and disadvantages uh, in a way. I mean, I'm trying to think about that. I mean, I don't like living in crowded cities. I mean, when I was young, I loved it. I think it was fantastic. When, he, uh, when I went to London, okay, I lived in Manchester, but I was outside of Manchester. Uh, London was dead exciting going on the underground and Taipei was fantastic, it was you know, dead crowded. And, uh, but now, I mean, I don't really like to be in a, a place with a lot of people. Um, you know, it's, but there are advantages. I like to be, you know, it, it's a quite difficult question to answer that one. I don't know if I uh, answered it coherently enough. But yeah, I mean, uh, what, what's good about Bursa for us, for us, which might be different from Ankara or um, Istanbul or something. It's because my husband, he his family is here. He's got, you know, we can escape very quickly to his village and, um, you know, escape into nature there. Okay, because it's really quite close here, and they've got lovely uh, fruit orchards and what have you. So from that reason, it's quite, you know, being in Bursa, we've got the best of both worlds in a way. You know, we've got the advantages of living in a city and all the uh, amenities and facilities that cities have. But at the same time, we've got this ability to escape uh, into somewhere quieter. I understand it is a middle yeah. ground. 
It Thank is. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a very balanced person. <laughs> I, don't, I don't go one way or the other very much. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome back. But uh, Castamon, what I remember, because I know you're from Castamon, that was, I've got very fond memories there. People are very, very friendly. And uh, that was really nice. What was a, sometimes a little bit, um, how can I say, what's the word? In Turkish, we say Bojo, because uh, everybody knows who you are. You know, people know that there is an English woman in Kastamon and they know who you are. And it's, like, it's like being a Hollywood star or something. <laughs> <laughs> it must be strange uh, for locals. Yes, it must be. Yes. Um, that was very, you know, that, was, that can be a little bit mm, after a while. How can I say? Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I received another question. Mm -hmm. A friend of mine asked you, uh, since you were born in Manchester, he says, do you support Manchester City or Manchester United? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, not the, I'm, I'm not a, fa a fanatic, but um, I would say I do tend to side towards Manchester United. Thank you. Although I'm not careful about it. Yes, Amanda just supports Manchester United. Also, we have another question from Bora Yüksel. Maybe you have all the dancers, but did you have any difficulty in adapting yourself to Turkish culture? Right. Um, well, it takes time. And as I said before, a little bit, because I spent four years in Taiwan, even though not living directly in, in, in Chinese culture. So, I found it a little bit closer to home, but there were some things that were, um, I mean, what was difficult to adapt to. My, the most difficult thing to adapt to for me was t the concept of time. Okay, so nothing, food is food everywhere. I mean, you know, there's nothing, you know, there's, there's nothing about Turkish food that is difficult to get used to, quite the opposite. And, you know, things like food and that things are not, are not so difficult to get used to, but for example, time. Okay, um, you think time is time, isn't it? You've got a watch and the, you know, what have you, but things are so different. I mean, England, I mean, it's the original industrial country, isn't it? Okay, Turkey, it's, certainly when I first came here, and things have changed a great deal though, um, well, it's more agricultural in its, um, in its culture, isn't it? So, uh, in, in Britain, in the UK, everything was time, okay? so. Uh, if a train is going to leave at 12 minutes past 8, it does, it leaves at 12 minutes past 8 and to catch that train, I need to leave home 15 minutes before to get that train, you know, you know what I mean, so it's sort of like, t -t 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 -t. okay, time and, you know, sort of, you know, you divide your day in terms of clock time. Um, but when I came to Turkey and I spent some time uh, with my, with Beçe Hoca's parents in the village, and it's like, yeah, time, what is that? It's, you know, you, you divide time according to the sun, okay, which is the original way, isn't it? So, uh, this, uh, you know, for example, this evening we're going to visit so-and-so. Ah, okay, what time? <laughs> you know, after dinner. Ah, okay. You know, when are we going to have dinner? What time is dinner? It's like, oh my God, what's the matter with this person? You know, everything is much, it sort of flows more slowly there. And it, you know, it doesn't matter. 
uh, that's how thing is. That's what time is in the village, isn't it? It's sort of like um, divided by the sun and certainly, you know, uh, prayer times and what have you. So uh, that um, that was quite that. I found that very difficult to. I mean, still at, at, as a university and people at universities are a little bit more time. Um, how can I say sensitive? But still, I will find myself arriving early for something and waiting, you know, 10, 15 minutes for other people to come. But that's that's changed a lot, though, in Turkey. It's not like it used to be. You know, people are, you know, becoming more aware of clock time. Whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, I don't know. Okay. So time, time concept. We have another question from Sajjan, Gaz University. Mm -hmm. As a native speaker teacher, what do you think about the status of English in Turkey? Right. Uh, good question. Actually, the state of this English has changed a lot. I mean, um, 20, 30 years ago, maybe English had a very high status. Okay. And, you know, it was a really good thing to be an English teacher. Uh, things have changed a little bit. Um, I mean, English is still important. Um, but I think the whole English language teaching uh, concept has been very, very beaten up, beaten around a little bit. I think it's sort of, um, how would you say in Turkish, um, a little bit, because there's all this argument about whether we should learn English or not, and then uh, all this sort of, you know, um, argument about that there's all sorts of this misunderstanding you know you know if you're learning a foreign language doesn't mean that you're going to lose your own identity okay there's all that kind of argument going on um i th i think english and also that there's another thing is that how we teach english and you know what english is actually that, that we've, we've not we've not got that settled down i don't think yet you know what is English? Why are we learning English? What's the purpose of it? And how do we how do we teach it? How do we learn it? How do we teach it? With there's still a lot of very very basic arguments about those. I mean, uh, Serjan uh, will know Aidan Hoja. I mean, uh, I'm on a, a very similar line of thinking to Aidan Hoja. There, you know, English is a means of communication. Uh, we learn English because we want to communicate with other people, not with not just with English people, or you know, we want to. You know, take our place on the uh, on the international scene. That's what we want to do, and, and this is how we do it. We do that with English at the moment, um, but we're still seeing English as a set of grammatical rules that we have to teach, and that's not giving us the um, the outcome that we want. So it's a bit mixed up at the moment. I think we know it's important, um, but we're still not. We've not got uh, some kind. Of, we've not had a concept. We've not got a healthy consensus of what English is and how we need to teach it at the moment. That's my opinion about the status of English at the moment. There's a, there's oh, maybe a is asking you. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Do we have future plans in the right. field of ELT mm -hmm. or in other fields? Right. Uh, thank you, Serge, and thank you, Maeve. Um, you know, obviously, I'm an ELT person. I love my job. I love uh, teaching language. I love teaching. It's not just because it's English. Uh, so, I mean, um, 
whatever my plans are for the future, even after this age, it's still going to be in the field of ELTs, like whatever I can do, uh, whatever contribution I can make to the field of English language teaching, then I'm ready to do that. I don't have any concrete plans at the moment. You know, I'm going to do this or going to do that. Not yet. Okay, still working at Ulluda. Okay, my future plans at the moment to continue working, to continue um, in teacher education. But no other fields. Mm -hmm. Thank then you, Mary. Let's continue with part four, the hardest part of our podcast. It's very, very tough. Oh dear. You can ask me questions. Okay. It's mostly about your being head of Uludas ELT section. Okay. So I'm starting with easiest question. How did you become head of ELT? Huh. Well, these sorts of things happen through, I mean, these are the, you know, the regulations of the university, the UNET Medic. Okay. There are certain, how can I say? certain regulations obviously there has to be a head of department there's have to be actually i'm not the head of the department i'm head of the english language teaching section um and the regulations stipulate that you know um in the department the people with the whoever's got the highest level of uh you know academic title uh if there's one person then they do it if there are more than one person there's going to be an election so that's how it happened you know, through election. Did you have an election? <laughs> yes. Or were you the only candidate? <laughs> okay. No, 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 no. Uh, there was um, three years ago. No, not three years ago. Six. Oh gosh, six years ago there was an election, and then uh, I was the head for three years, and then I. I did, wasn't the head again for a year or so, and then this next time, um, yeah. <laughs> okay. What are your data tests as a head of ELT? Right. Um, what do I have to do? Actually, the, the head is really just a coordinator. So what do we do? If you think about all the, the things that go on in the English language teaching section, what do we have? We've got uh, lesson programs, don't we? We have the, our weekly programs. Um, we've got exams, we have, um, so I mean, maybe these, it's not every day that you have to do something, these certain periods in time, so for example, in April and May, it's the time for um, sorting out the lesson programme, okay, the, what we call the DARES plan, okay, what, lesson, what courses are we offering the, over the four years, so we have to get that ready um for both the undergraduate for your program and also for the postgraduate things as well then we uh soon i think next term we will have the um assigning courses to um teachers okay so the you know who which uh which teachers are going to teach which courses Okay, so that's done. The distribution of courses as well. That's done in June. Um, and also it's done in um, at the end of the term in December. So that, that sort of thing. Then the exam programs, and we have to coordinate the exam programs. 
so uh, I mean, these, these things just basically they do themselves. There is a system that's working throughout the uh, the faculty. Uh, you know, there's an exam committee. There's a de uh, course program committee. There's this committee, that committee. They're all sort of working, and I just coordinate. You know, just um, collect all the necessary information together, write a uh, a letter on top of it, sign it, and hand it into the department. I mean, that's what it is, really. It's a bit of a um, stationary desktop job. Yeah. Yep. Mm, that must another question. What are you and the rest of academicians are doing to improve our ELT department? Well, we uh, we work. You know, we're doing. What are we doing? We're. Um, but certainly in terms of uh, research, that's one way of thinking, you know, trying to improve ourselves as teachers. That's one uh, thing that we're trying to do. Also, for example, the the thing is with the course program, so far we have, uh, you know, our course program is given to us by Yerk. Okay, and they say that you will teach these courses. Okay, um, but Yerk has now given us the, have given all faculties of education a little bit of uh, control over what, what um, courses should be taught. So, um, in the English language teaching field, in the ELT field in Turkey, all ELT people have come together and had a few workshops on what we should put in the program. So we're working together there of like which um, what programs should we include in the new course. Okay, which you know, which courses are useful, which ones are you know need more time, that kind of thing. So we're we're doing that kind of thing. Um, at the moment, I think we're just trying to survive basically in the <laughs> the pandemic period. We're a little bit more active before. Uh -huh. Will will the third graders be affected in any way? No, 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 oh. no. You won't. No, I mean our plan is. Um, Usually, when there's a new program that comes in, um, the students who begin in that year start on that program. The other students on the previous programs aren't affected. Okay, so for example, the fourth the, the fourth years at the moment uh, are on the old old program, the 2006 program. Yeah, that's why we can't take any courses from the fourth grade. Right, yes, that's it, exactly. So, I mean, no, you're not going to be affected by it at all. Yeah, not this new one. And no worries. Yeah, no worries for you there, yes. Do you think Uludas ELT department is one of the top five in Turkey? Well, it's, uh, we're certainly one of the biggest. Um, I think in terms of number, we're up there with Ghazi and um, Anadolu, okay? And I think we've got quite an active team of, uh, you know, our members of staff are very active researching and doing things, you know, making um, Uludağ known throughout the country, I could say that. I mean, in terms of, I mean, in terms of students as well, I mean, uh, you all come in, uh, all of with quite very high points, high scores from the exam. So uh, yes, I think we'd be up there. Okay. okay. Are, you Are you content about the students of the ELT department? Yes, I am. Okay. I mean, I know. Uh, I know it's a traditional thing for uh, teachers to complain about their students, but I'm actually very. I think we're very lucky in the ELT department. I think ELT departments in 
pretty much every university have got um, kind of a special place that you are different. Okay, and I know our dean, for example, you know, he wants, um, he doesn't want us to reduce our uh, contingencies for ELT because he said, you know, the, uh, the ELT groups are very, you know, how can I say, cultured, well-behaved, you know, we need to see more students like this uh, in our university corridors. So and, and I'm happy. I'm, I think also that um, this current generation of uh, students are very, I think, going to, uh, going to be very promising because I have a lot of hope for you in the future as teachers. Um, you know, I think, you know, I think, you know, I'm, I'm happy with you. I'm pleased. Okay, I'm okay. asking the same question, but uh -huh. uh, from point of the academicians. Mm -hmm. Are you content about them? Well, yes, of course I am. I mean, <laughs> um, I couldn't not. I mean, whatever, we're all here together, all working together, of course. Everybody is doing their best to their best abilities, I think. Because it's, okay. it's important to work collaboratively. In a, in a right. Work, work, Sorry? It's important to work collaboratively in office. Uh, right. Our department is your offices. Right, exactly. I mean, in the department, um, we come together and do things. I mean, we definitely we, we meet on a frequent basis. We have meetings, we have discussions about what we can do. I mean, and everybody has their contributions to make. So, I mean, I'm, I'm happy. Okay. I, I don't have a problem. I think everybody okay, is doing their best. As a student of the ELT department, I'm content that most of our departments academicians. But when it comes to common lessons that we have to take, I'm absolutely not contented. Right. Almost every single of them are here to make everything harder, clean and humiliate us. I believe they are arrogant, impertinent, egoist and bad at teaching and here to get paid. What can be done to get rid of them? Well. Um, the thing is, you have to remember that we are in a state-funded department here, and we can't really get rid of um, teachers. Yeah, that's not the way to do things, okay? That, that, that's not possible to do that. Um, the way I look at it is that, okay, now you're... It, it takes all sorts of teachers to make a school, doesn't it? Okay, uh, we have to. Some of uh, we're going to like some of them. We're not going to like others. We, you know, all sorts of things. There's all sorts of different characters there. And uh, what I think, you know, I said before that you, you, getting rid of things isn't always the solution. Okay, so it's not always possible either. I mean, what you need to do. You're all now adults. You're all, uh, I know you hate, I'm sure you hate people telling you that, don't you? I remember my kids hate being told that they're, well, you're at high school now, behave like an adult. Um, but, you know, it's, what, what I want to say is that um, you can develop yourself so you're not affected. Don't let people affect you negatively. If, if somebody, if uh, anybody, if, if it, whether it be a teacher or a classmate or whoever, if they're intimidating you or if they're um, giving you a hard time, actually, it's, don't take it on a personal level. Is what I would say. Okay, they, that is that particular person's own way of dealing with things. We don't know anything about their 
life, what they're going through or anything like that. So the best thing to do is to think, well, you know, I'm, you're just here, you're going to take these courses, then you're going to leave all this behind. Okay, try, try and think about developing yourselves, uh, you know, be, becoming resilient to this sort of thing, even. Okay, because you can't just end people's contracts, especially when they're, you know, Mr. Uh, State run university. Yes. yes. This is a very, it's a very, very complicated thing. So when we encounter, uh, encounter uh, with a difficulty, difficulty so, we so we need to improve ourselves. Well, yes, you know, build up. Um, but we are here um, to forever. We will live with us forever. Right. Yes. I mean, you're you're going to leave that this this poor person, whoever they are, they're going to be stuck with themselves, aren't they? So, um, I mean, I would say just you know, um, you're at that level of maturity now, there, where you can have a teacher and you can see, you can weigh up what's going on, and you just see, well, what do I need? Okay, for this, this is a lesson. This person doesn't, you know, doesn't matter. What do I need for this lesson? Let me take that and then just go. Okay, I think that's probably the best thing to do there. We can never learn from the worst. You can, you can, you can learn from Hogwarts. Right, yes. I mean, you can learn uh, from every situation. Nobody, nobody, nobody's perfect. Okay, nobody's perfect at all. We're all everybody's a human being and everybody's had these different lives that have shaped them into whatever they are. And uh, sometimes it clashes with our expectations or it clashes with our personalities. Uh, but that's how it is. You know, it's, it doesn't stop there either as well, Batohan, because um, when you get into the working environment, you're going to be working with all sorts of people who you might not like as well, who, you know, going to, so just think of it as a way of dealing with this sort of person in real life, because it, it just, it, they don't go away. Okay, you okay know? thank you. That's my, that's my advice uh, for you. Next question. Next question. Uh, I remember the first meeting of Open Project. Uh, if my friends doesn't know, I can tell. Uh, open Project is a United States government funding project that uh, developing students from all over the world and accepting students from all over the world to educate them in a specific field. You, uh, the embassy chooses you and you attend this project. And you start, and you start to take lessons lesson from American, American universities. universities. So, so I, remember I remember the first meeting of the open project. Half, half of, the of the students were from Otto and others half were from Hacettepe. And, mm -hmm. and even mentors. Uh, uh, I felt totally, totally alone, alone and told myself, myself am, I am I imposter, imposter here? <laughs> because, <laughs> because almost everyone knew each other. Each other. The worst of all, they don't, they don't even know where Uluda University is. Ah, shame on them. Yes, yes shame, on them. shame on them. As a student of or, or ELT, ELT, I feel we students, students almost have no international experiences. And our, mm. and our academicians are not part of international projects. Do you have any plan to bring our students and academicians in international experiences, such as more opportunity for Erasmus? Internship abroad for students with special agreements and open project. Ha, okay. I mean, um, it's something to definitely to look into. Uh, something to look into. 
what can I do? We see what we have to do. What sort of things do we have to do there? What what requirements are there, and what have you? Yes. I think we need all international experiences because yeah. it's very important to widen our world. Definitely, definitely, I agree with you there. Definitely, yes. We'll have to. I have to look into that, Batohan. See what I can be done. My world, and I saw myself. How I'm small. We're all small. Yes. Yes. And I believe uh, I won't be a sufficient teacher for my students because when I look at the others, yes, they are more successful, they have very international experiences, they are uh, attending projects, they are doing something good, but we are lack of it. Right, that's the thing. I feel we are only here for a high school, it's called right. of high school. That's the disadvantage of being outside Ankara. Everything is in, in Ankara because everything is sort of like centralized around there. Um, those the, the those Ankara universities are definitely under the radar. And Hajitepian uh, ought to have got this, this either uh, a different status in a way, like Boazici. Uh, but yeah, definitely. I mean, we'll have to see what we can do to do that sort of thing. Yes. I mean, those sort of things we will need. Uh, I mean, at the moment, the uh, administration would look uh, favorably on this sort of thing, I think. I'll have to see okay, what we then. can do. I can say I will try my best to get uh, international experiences to our university. Mm -hmm. Right. I will try it and left something for my university and for future students. Okay, then let's continue okay. with another question. Okay. Uh -huh. I also would like to point out our collaboration with other universities. Mm -hmm. Thanks to you and Nazdoja, some of us have chance to change our ideas and working together with dear friends from Gazi University. Mm -hmm. Are you planning to continue it and even encourage other academicians to do something similar to our Hogwarts? Right. I mean, that could be something. I mean, that was a, um, a personal endeavor, of course. It was um, um, it's something that I've been thinking and uh, with Nasla Hoj, you've been thinking about for a while. And because of this pandemic, uh, pandemic uh, context, it's actually been a lot easier to do it in this way. Obviously, these sorts of things depend on, um, how can I say? I mean, it's sort of definitely something we could do. Uh, we could encourage, definitely, uh, bring it up in a meeting and encourage other people maybe to do this sort of thing, possibly, yes. I mean, certainly, I think when we've finished this uh, Hogwarts thingy, then certainly um, tell the department about it and then sort of encourage uh, cooperation between universities. That would be a really good idea, actually. Because, yes. um, you know, with this, with, um, I mean, with the, with the, the pandemic and that everything is online uh, now, and even if the pandemic disappears, which I hope it does soon, that these online tools have stayed with us, I think. I mean, before, I think maybe a year and a half ago, it, we wouldn't have been able to think about it even. Uh, but now it's, you know, people are becoming a lot more, how can I say, um, we're realizing the potential of these tools for collaboration. So I think it might increase. I think definitely we might start increase doing things like that. We just need to get out of survival mode at the moment, Batahan. I think we're all in a kind of 
um, survival mode. I mean, certainly the past year has. I think this term, we're starting to pull ourselves together. Okay, so, um, and I think for everybody, the past year has been like, oh my goodness, what am I doing? How am I going to do this? Okay, this sort of, you know, uh, the same time we're living all these stresses outside school and what have you. But I think over time, as we get used to this, Yes, we need creative mode, definitely. Um, you know, I think as we get used to this, then I think it will start to increase. So, uh, as far as I understand from last two questions, two questions as students, we should demand from you. From you. Well, yes. Then, yes. Then I, demand I demand for my friends. For my friends. We, want we want international experiences and working okay. with other universities. Okay, you tell me, the, you send me the information about this project. Butterhan, okay? Open project, okay. Yeah. Send it to me via email. All right. All right. See what we can do. So, uh, so I want to point out that our university's classes designs. Classes, classes at, our at our faculty reminds me my old high school. Yeah, so, I know. <laughs> I remember my first time at the class, I said to myself, oh no, oh, no. <laughs> am I still at high school? <laughs> Right. I had a chance to have a little chit chat with uh, Mr. Dion, and he said me they had a plan to turn faculty into a real university. I hope so. Is the plan still works, or there is no full-on plan in near future? I've I don't know about that, but um, not heard anything about that. But um, yeah, I agree with you totally. I mean, it's it's not a, a lot of. Places are like that, though. I mean, I don't know. I mean, unless you go to these very new universities, I mean, Anadolu universities, really, wow. Okay, but they've got this extra, um, how can I say, they've got this extra budget thing from the Open University. But, I mean, this is, ours is pretty much the state of every <laughs> university of a similar age. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, uh, it's one of those things, well, this is what it is. Uh, can't go over it, can't go under it, we have to go straight through it, but you know, it's, uh, how can I say, I think we've got a really good team, as an ELT team, and I think once, um, after, a, after a while, the classroom that you're sitting in doesn't matter anymore, if you see what I mean, and even now we're not even in a classroom anymore, but um, at the end of the day, that that is a physical environment, which yes, it does affect you at the beginning, but over time, I think you start to forget about that. It, does, it goes into the background and the interaction with your friends and with your uh, the academic staff, that comes into the front. Uh, the things that you start doing as part of the courses and what have you, that's what will stay in your mind. But yes, it, I mean, it does look very grim. Um, yes, uh, we enjoy from our academicians and our friends, but I think we need something more, a more uh, positive motivation that we cannot see directly. Right. Yes, definitely. I mean, I mean, uh, even the the, the colour should be. I mean, that dreadful grey colour. Um, it would be a, a nicer to be a, a lot brighter. Yes, definitely, definitely. Uh, I was about to say that, like, why grey of all the colours? <laughs> why it could be like simply a uh, light blue like in yes. uh, many high schools yes light blue pale green yeah but gray yeah, <laughs> yeah serious boys <laughs> yeah honey i don't know what to say anyway so it's gray is terrible color 
It doesn't show the dirt, maybe. I don't know. Okay. What, what would you like to change at our department? No one, no one will oppose you, you won't be baited, and there won't be any sanction. Okay. Um, I would like to change. I think it comes on to what you just said there. I mean, I think to have classrooms that were much more interactive, for one thing, um, I would like to have classrooms that didn't have fixed desks to them. Uh, I would like to have classrooms that were um, suitably technologically set up, okay, so, you know, for opportunity, so we could have that, you know, even a, a whiteboard, you know, would be, you know, a, a smart board kind of thing, you know, uh, internet connection, I would love to have internet connection in all of the um, classrooms, so I think I would like, it sort of ties in with your last question, I would like to have it uh, set up there. I'd also love it if, say for example, after three years of uh, education here, if you could have a year out in a different country uh, as a kind of a teaching practice, that would be brilliant. And then you could come back here and finish off. I, I, that's what I would love to be able to do. Yes, it will, yes, it will be very nice. Mm -hmm. You know, I think so, that so would Mm -hmm. To sum up to your wants, uh, 21st century classroom. Yes. Yeah, definitely. With all the, you know, all the, you know, not, not just technology for technology's sake, uh, things that we could actually really use there, you know, to, to actually increase. You know, if we had that sort of environment, then we would be able to set up um, international communication in the classroom. So you would be able to talk with other teachers from other different places not just in turkey but all over the world as well i mean that would be great yes that will be great for international experiences mm -hmm. so my last question from part four mm -hmm. what do we like in our faculty teacher training program on academicians and students mind can you say that again what do we like in our faculty teacher training program on academicians and students' mind. What do I like? Uh, like. We don't, like. We do not have. Ha, what do we like? Sorry for my pronunciation. No, 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 no. It's okay. It's this computer mediated um, thingy. Uh, what do we like? Well, actually, it sort of ties in with that other question, isn't it, really? We like uh, some kind of infrastructure to give. 21st century education. I think that's one thing that we lack. Um, we we could all do with a bit more. In, uh, it's the same thing, actually, Butterhan. You sort of gave me a copy of Erdin, Ernje. In me, I mean, that, I think that's what we would like. <laughs> Definitely, um, you know, opportunities to be able to. Um, how can I say, you know, opportunity to be able to uh, to go abroad, to go to more conferences abroad, to be able to join in. Because, I mean, every, all these sorts of things that we're talking about, are de uh, it all depends on finance at the end of the day, doesn't it? I mean, if there is if there is no money, you cannot do it. Okay, so, I mean, it used to be possible to go, uh, you know, for a conference. Okay, you can apply to a conference, go to a different country, give your, um, you know, at an international conference, give your paper, and the university will be able to support you. Uh, but that's not possible now. 
Okay, basically. So um, a lot of these ideas are very nice, but at the end of the day, it just depends on uh, finance. So we can take great ideas, but to realize it, we need a finance and money. Yeah, unfortunately. And we lack of money yeah. in general. Yes, definitely. Unfortunately. Yeah, it's good. So, a lot of these things that you that did this 21st century classroom, all those are very sort of um, just have to imagine at the moment, but don't stop imagining them because at uh, one time maybe they will, we will be able to uh, make them happen. I think. Yes, yes. we can sell books like Lockhart. Lockhart. <laughs> <laughs> Some of them does though. Some, Sorry? some teacher uh, sells their own book in our university. Mm -hmm. Where did the money go? I wonder. Well, that that's a very that's an age-old thing I've met selling. That's such a it's almost a tradition now. Care mess. We should organise a care mess, isn't it? Some kind of uh, a fair, a food fair, or whatever. Good. Yeah, I mean, that's it at the end of the day. And, and uh, things are limited because we don't have any, like, huge sponsors behind you. I mean, like, uh, Anadolu University has a, you know, the whole open university behind them, uh, which is a great income. But there we go. But we at least if we can develop the ideas and then when if we do find <laughs> the, the finances to do it, then maybe we can. Yes, it's the part of part of part four. Okay. So, if there is any question, friends, you can ask. All right, I can continue with part five. Okay. Okay, then let's continue with part five. It's about your. Discussion, discussion on ELT and general education. Mm -hmm. what, are what are your teaching methods, methods you, are you are using in your classes? Hmm. Okay. I should ask you that. <laughs> now, <laughs> now uh, obviously, the teaching methods I use are, are kind of different because we're not. I'm not teaching language, so they're a little bit different to what um, what we're telling you to do in a way. I mean, the things that I'm trying to do is to um, present theory, but in a practical, useful way. That's what I'm. That's what my aim is. Okay, that's how I set out to do things. I, I don't know if that happens or not. I mean, I don't. I think theory is important, and we think. I think we should know why we do things like we do in the classroom. But at the same time, I don't think it's useful to memorize a lot of theoretical information. I think it's a lot better to actually do things uh, based on that theory, so to speak. So that's how I try and organize my lessons. My, my teaching methodology was to think, for example, teaching listening. What do we need to know about teaching listening? What do we need to know about listening? How can I present that to you so you can, um, you can remember the theory without having to memorize it? So I'd say that was my general approach. Yes, and, yes, it's, and, it's, and actually, it's works. It works. It Does works. it? Oh, that's good. 
Okay, because also try and think, try and make it interesting as well. That's one thing because I've, I've always tried to do is that if I'm, whatever I'm teaching, and try and make it interesting because if something is interesting, it's a lot easier to learn in that way, and you can see more um, uh, purpose in learning it. Okay. And you achieve it. Sorry? And you achieve it very well, I think. All right, thank you. Okay, so that, yeah, that's something that I, um, you know, that's that's how I approach teaching. And it's a, a similar thing when you're actually teaching language. Okay. And what is the future of ELT? Where are we going? Good question. And 21st century, century tools, what's going, what's going on? What is going on? I think suddenly in the past year, that we've, uh, it's been a huge wake up uh, wake up call for everybody. I mean, ELT is uh, actually in this in twenty in this twenty first century context. It, I think it's even more important with all these tools that we've got now and all these um, different things. Actually, teaching English is it should be a lot easier. Um, students should be able to see why English is important. Okay, because suddenly it's a lot easier to collaborate with people from different places. Um, I think the, the future of ELT is very is still important. Okay, and I think it should. I think we've realised that it has to be integrated as well with technology. I don't think technology will replace teachers. That, that that's wrong. I mean, a lot of people think that our jobs will be done by computers. But at the end of the day, if you've got Google Meet or you've got uh, Kahoot or whatever, basically the most basic technology, it's still a teacher there who's using it. Isn't it? And it's the teacher who's so the teacher is still important. So I think we really need. I think in Turkey at the moment as well, we need our new generation of ELT of English language teachers need to be comfortable with uh, using uh, communication technologies in the classroom, and they should be comfortable with uh, teaching English as a means of communication. Yes, that's, that's very important. Because uh, we think that technological, technological devices will replace us, but it won't. It won't. Right. No, they won't. They can't really. to make things easier. Right. And it makes things easier, makes things more meaningful. Isn't it? I mean, like, uh, about 20 years ago, the only English that students would come across would be in their course book. Okay, but now it's everywhere. So, yes. And uh, we should adopt it. Otherwise, otherwise yes. we will be extinct from the world. world. Definitely. We need to catch up with the world. Absolutely. Technology as a devil. Right. It is. Of course, it got uh, negative points, but it doesn't make it, make it evil. No, it Everything doesn't. Has a negative aspect. Of course, course books have a negative aspect, don't they? I mean, um, everything's got a negative and positive. Uh, as for the, the the important thing is teachers. The teachers should uh, should know how to use that material to the best way, to the best advantage. And that technology, uh, without um, a trained teacher, without a, an educated teacher, is is no use at all. So there we go. Also, it sounds weird to expect the creatures to replace uh, its uh, creator. Right, a good like, point. Yeah, yeah we yeah. created them. Right, why? <laughs> Not we... me, but. <laughs> really? Why would we 
Give our kids to be taught by robots. I mean, why would robots even teach us? Amy, you know, let us teach ourselves. You know, why are we teaching these, you know, humans? It's just ridiculous, I think. But we need to use them. Okay, we need to use that technology. We shouldn't reject it. Okay. From my, From my point of view, is, is, is it to learn when you have, you have a chance to experience it? it. We are not, we are not good at teaching English, English because, I because I believe our teachers, teachers do not let us experience the language. language. What, can right. what can be done to let our students experience the language we teach? Right. Um, I mean, through technology is the number one way, isn't it? You can, you know, just from sitting here and opening a tab, you can go through Google World, you can go through a, a different website, you can listen to English, you can read it, you can watch it, it's there in front of you and that's how you experience it. And I think teachers also have to be confident with their own English skills. I think a lot of teachers are not um, confident with their own English proficiency. So they, I think teachers will have to develop their, uh, I mean that's something that you do yourself, you don't expect anybody else to develop your proficiency for you. Um, so English language teachers should know English really well. Mm -hmm. uh, to be honest, I hate limitations and so are curriculums. I see them as a limiter of both teachers' creativity and students' potential instead of a guidebook. Mm -hmm. I believe we as teachers adopt the schools where we teach. Every region, every town, every neighborhood, and even every classroom in the same school has different needs. I don't ever mention personal differences. Right. I think we should stop creating robots and following the same curriculum. We need to create diversity among our students according to their and region's needs. For instance, a school in Ankara won't require English for tourism. Ankara is capital of Turkey, and Ankara needs English for diplomatic, military, scientific, and financial purposes. They need competency on these fields. Why would we teach them information they want to use, and we are wasting their time? Right. What are your opinions on my statement? Well, I think certainly. I mean, um, at, when you're talking about education, as basic education and also secondary education, we're talking about very general English there. We're not talking about specialized English. Um, however, I think in certainly with these uh, vocational high schools, we'll need to have different uh, curriculum. So if you're even if you're in Ankara, but you're studying at a tourism and hotel high school, then you will need English for tourism. If you're studying at um, another vocational high school where it's more like, how can I say, um, electronics or that kind of thing, then your English is going to be different, isn't it? Not just English, maths needs to be different, physics needs to be different, they all need to be different. So, yes, I think definitely a uh, differentiated curriculum would be a good idea. Because, uh, you know, one size definitely doesn't fit all. I know that's a bit of a cliche these days. But, um, you know, if we keep to one curriculum, there's going to be a lot of people who sort of like fall off the sides and get lost. And therefore, you know, cannot be... Uh, they can't contribute to citizens, so definitely. Yes, uh, when I was in Europe, I experienced and exposed most of CLIL, content and language integrated mm -hmm. learning. Right. It catched me with its motto, use language to learn, not learn right. language to use. Right. 
Right. I think Clem starts listening to more attractive. What do you think about it? Right. I mean, Clem is obviously the it's it's that European thing, isn't it? It's part of the European Union. It's their approach because um, the European one of the European Union's goals is to have citizens who can speak more than one language. And Khalil is one way to do that. Now, obviously, Turkey is out of that. We're not in that. And that's why we're having all these um, debates, isn't it? You know, uh, education in English or edu uh, English education, whatever. There's those huge uh, debates, arguments or whatever. Obviously, um, uh, learning, if you learn things in English, then English becomes a means of doing things. And obviously, it's more uh, effective. But... On a political level, it's a little bit more, uh, how can I say, contentious. Sorry, I'm writing something. Hmm. Here it is, Ahmed. You can go. You can go. Uh, from my observations, some of our academicians were trying to put their lessons into 21st century. Uh, for example, Levant Ozon's lessons. With the, mm -hmm. with the pandemic, most of the academicians at our university, but most of them ignorant what the 21st century requires. Mm -hmm. They are trying to put absolute pen and paper and grading system. I think we should let them in the past. We need task-based system, feedbacks and can-do statements instead of grading with points and absolute pen and paper. Mm -hmm. There are some academicians trying to give feedbacks, but they don't provide us any chance to solve ourselves after feedbacks. Thanks to recent system, we are nothing but enemies with absolute system. We need to walk over our friends to have better future. I also believe it creates hatred, greedy and treason amongst the society. Don't you think we should abandon this absolute system? Well, yes, I mean, and, and this is beyond my personal opinion, though, isn't it, really? I mean, there's um, a lot of, um, I think what we need in universities is just some kind of professional development opportunities, like they've sort of began to, that, like they've got for teachers. I mean, that's one thing that is lacking at university, is the opportunity for professional development. And I think in a time like this, uh, we need it more than ever. You know, alternate. I mean, there are certain things that they they had. Um, uh, there are sort of programs just beginning now. The dean um, did have. He they set up a, a kind of uh, professional development program for us all, and that was quite useful. Okay, but it's it, definitely I think university academic staff need professional development. Yeah, I feel I like in high school. It's contents of the high school. I got my higher diploma. That's all. <laughs> yeah, honey, uh, I'm sure it's so different everywhere. My rest of friends from faculty, they may not be, but I want them to be have better future too. Of course, they need to be fit, uh, better teachers for our future too. Mm-hmm. But they're only here just sitting and. Taking quizzes, quizzes tests. Sometimes sometime maybe lots of people, lots of people cheating, cheating. I don't know. Well, yes. I mean, we've not been able to. Uh, this is very difficult to be able to do that to get round that. Instead, you know, instead of grading each other, each other or right. making competition, competition each other, each other uh, we need mm -hmm. can-do statements and feedbacks. Right. 
Mm-hmm. I got it uh, from Europe and still receiving from the Iowa State University. They feel make me, they give me a chance to make it through my faults, my mistakes. Mm-hmm. And I feel I'm improving myself. But in here, if you make a mistake, you made a mistake and you will suffer with it. I mean, yes, I mean, there's a whole, uh, this is this whole, this mindset needs to change. It's not just individuals, it's this whole um, uh, educational culture. It's very deep set. Yep. And my, my last mm-hmm. question from part five. Okay, um, this is part I six. From, oh, there's oh, no there's stuff for us. <laughs> don't you worry. My family are wondering what I'm doing here. I think we, we're going to go out in a little bit to uh, have a distant meeting with our neighbor. So go ahead. Okay. okay. I can let you if you want to leave. It doesn't no, matter. No, no, no. Let's have the, no, 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 no. The last, let's have the last uh, question of part five. Okay. okay. I heard from, from some of my friends that, that they fear for the next year. They say they, they don't feel sufficient for internship, internship and I agree with them. First year at university has preparation class wide. Even if you pass with enough points to skip preparation class, SAM welcomes you no matter what. Because we take we took talking lesson, writing lessons at our first year in university. You had preparation class before, you take it again at the first year at the faculty again. What a waste of time. Also, also, we learn lots of theory, but can't put into practice until third year at university. What can we do about it? Well, um, I mean, this is what we're going to be doing. We're going to be changing the program. The program, as I mentioned in a, a question, as an answer to a question before, is that the program is given us to us by Yerk. And um, the we're now having a little bit more flexibility with that so we can do that the um what can i say the first year is more academically it should be more academically oriented rather than just um prep school again because prep school is general english um the the first your first year courses should be a little bit more academically oriented you know as a kind of a, a transition into um english language teaching uh, into the field i think so i mean what do, what do you see do you, you want less skills courses or you know what's your opinion about that i just want to put practice, put practice the theory, the theory. I right so much so much ah. I, can't I, I can't use it uh, I right i forgot a uh, time passes right okay theory right okay yeah teaching theory Yes, we get lots of teaching theories, but we cannot put it into practice. Right. Yes, I mean, and that sort of thing is that to, to, to put things into practice, you need cooperation with the schools, and we do that in the fourth year anyway. I mean, your teaching practice is going to be longer than uh, the other, your, when you come into fourth year next year, you've got your, fir- your first term of teaching practice is a lot longer than this old program. Okay, so you're going to have more teaching practice. Um, I mean, that's the, to have more teaching practice, you need more collaboration with schools, with the, um, the national education system, and that's not always that easy. Hmm. Um, 
I want to add something. Maybe mm -hmm. during uh, some schools, university could enable us to uh, do internship. That would be really good. Like instead of waiting uh, for the last uh, for the last year, it would be really good to experience uh, teaching, at least in summer. Right. Um... Right, that's one way. So, as summer courses, yes, I mean, those would have to be, you know, if they want to, if that's possible. I mean, some universities might be, you know, smaller universities might find that be a, a little bit more uh, approachable about that. You know, it's an idea. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, that's. Um, oof, I forgot what, what was I about to say. That was weird. Okay. I mean, yes, I mean, that's it, definitely more practice would definitely be good. But there are, again, a lot of bureaucratic things and also a lot of cultural things that make it, I mean, it's extremely difficult for us to even just do our basic uh, teaching practice as it is at the moment. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I wish it was different. Yeah. <laughs> we, we say there's lots of things, but how can we change them? Well, uh, this is something that, you know, you change them if you by uh, working the system, getting into the system and being in a position to change them. Oh, that so, will be very far. When it comes to part six, part six then, what are your advices who wants to be a good English teacher? Keep up to date with everything. Keep up to date with their new technology developments. Uh, keep your English, keep practicing your English, being exposed to English yourself. Uh, and just just um, just be hopeful. I mean, it's whether what you do in your forty minutes of a class is up to you. Um, do whatever makes you feel. You know, at the end of the day, yes, I've done what I could. Okay, you know, I've done my best, and I've tried my best to make this lesson happen for a number of students. Okay, so I, I think that's the thing to do. Um, to don't. If you get caught up with things like, oh, it's going to be terrible and it's like this and it's that, and you, you, with these sort of like pessimistic things, and like, oh, my, my students are like this, and if you, you know, if you go down that road, then it, it's going to be, um, you know, difficult. You know, uh, don't get into a phrase that, well, I would be really great if this was like this, or, you know, if this context was better, then I would be a much better teacher. That doesn't happen because the contexts are never, ever perfect. Uh, you just have to do your best job in, in your given circumstances. Mm -hmm. What are your what advices? Who wants to be an academician? Don't. No, of course not. No, of course not. Joking, joking, but it's not as easy as it, you know, it's not that. No, seriously, joking about it. You've got to be prepared for lots of. Um, work day and night doesn't really matter when you work if you want to do that um read read lots of articles again keep up to date with things like that um you know find out places you know do it obviously you'll have to do an ma and do a phd as well um yeah just work hard <laughs> <laughs> just want to do it as well whatever you want to do just want to do it and then just try your best at it how can we How take master degree at our university? Ah, uh, that would take another hour to explain, Batahan. Uh, Why uh, don't I have another? Would that be possible? There's a, there's a whole different thing there that you can. Um, I'll share some information with you about that.
Okay, okay then. Let's, let's it. pass it. Yeah. As a former, As a former university, university student, student, what are your what advices, are your advices to, us? to us? Uh make the most of your time here. Okay, um, make the most of it, make the most of being with, uh, your, uh, with your friends, being in contact with academic staff, uh, being in this environment where you, you know, people are giving you knowledge, okay, if you want to take it. Take, uh, take advantage of that as much as possible. Live every single moment. And also, uh, it's not possible at the moment, but, you know, enjoy yourselves as well. It's not possible, I know, at the moment, but just make the most of your time here because it finishes yes it's yes it finishes and already finished for me, for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, our last our question of the podcast, podcast. okay what are the differences between young teacher amanda and experienced master amanda what do you see um i'm a lot more confident in myself i believe in myself um i'm a lot more patient um, I realize that things take time to change. Um, I think I understand my, uh, you know, I think I know, I've got an idea of how learning happens now and that's really helped me with teaching, you know, that sort of thing. I think on the whole, I'm a lot, um, I don't teach so quickly. <laughs> younger Amanda used to teach very quickly. Um, I'm a lot calmer, I'm more patient, definitely. That's what I'd say. Thank you. Thank you. That's that's all. That's all. That's it. Oh, thank you. I want to, I want thank, to thank you from deep and of my heart to join me to join us. Thank you. I want I want to make more podcast series with our academicians too. That's good. I can love behind something for Uda University and encourage other students to the interact with academicians. Definitely. I think definitely this is a really, I think, a, a, a very admirable idea to actually, you know, uh, get in contact and form contact with them and talk with us. Yes. Isn't it? Yes, really? uh, I think it's a very good, um, I mean, you know, I uh, congratulate you on your, um, um, on that effort. I think that's very important. As a Turkish students, we appear from our teachers. teachers. Yeah. We call them Hoja. Yes. I don't like don't calling like teachers, teachers Hoja. Hoja. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. I want to I call, want to call uh, by, your by your name, but, name, but it feels, it feels something, something cultural thing, and I can't call you by your name. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, no, that it's wouldn't be acceptable. Amanda, <laughs> I would like to call it, but it could be, it could weird, be weird in our society. Yes, I think it would be. It would be strange. I mean, this this a whole thing about um, you know profession, age, status, all those sort of things that you know uh, would be expected. But we should always remember that our teachers are not monsters and we can communicate with them. Yes. There's, there's even a uh, game, uh, you know, called Scare Teacher, which, about which I'm really sad. Mm. They, be, uh, they try to beat the teacher. Yeah, not good. Definitely. And they love it. It's so popular. Right. I can't believe it. Right. Oh. Anyway. So, I think, so. well, thank you very much, Zatan. Thank you very much, all of you, for my being colleague. here and listening to me. <laughs> okay, my family are calling. Yes. Yes. They are asking me to. <laughs> <laughs>
move myself from the balcony. Yes, yes. Time for, time for a leisure. Okay. And time for and us time to for make chair the task. Okay, then, right. <laughs> Thank you very much. That's a, a, a very admirable of you, Batuhan. I think. Well done. That's a nice idea. You can go and talk to, um, I'm sure Umut told you would be helpful. Levin told you. Yes. Thank you. Okay, then. It was a pleasure. See you all later. Thank you. Okay, then. See you all later. Thank you very much, then. Okay.